Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. My name is Hartley Lloyd Pack, and you're listening to Mixtape Assembly, the podcast where guests tell stories about the songs, lyrics, and poems that have been special in their lives. This Mixtape Assembly is hosted by the mighty Benjamin Zephaniah, one of the most important voices to come out of the UK. Benjamin is many things, many, many, many things, but he is perhaps best known for his work as a poet. His achievements are too great to list here, though speaking personally as someone who works in education, I'd like to salute Benjamin for bringing words and stories to life for so many young people around the world. In his mixtape assembly, Benjamin goes on a bit of a deep one, talking freely on life after death, meditation and breath, and why the royal family could never be blessed. Musically, we get some insight into the multiple worlds that Benjamin inhabits, and I reckon his selection features the happiest tune and the angriest tune on the podcast to date. Hold tight, my heavy metal crew. Along the way, Benjamin sprinkles the show with sparkling little stories, including the time he inadvertently reunited a warring Whalers band following the death of Bob Marley, his role in helping to launch Dizzy Rascal's career, and the times he spent hanging out with Paul McCartney in smoked-out dub clubs in Brixton. All right, let's do this. I guess thinking as, seeing as you've done a bit of poetry in your time, I was thinking of maybe starting with your favourite poem, if you can, if you can tell us a bit about that one. Oh, my, you mean the Shelley poem? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Are we, ro- are we rolling? Yeah, we're rolling, we're rolling. All oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Casual. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is really casual, man. Um, well, the poem I... I was very... Um, I was very torn between two favourite poems, but they're, by, but they're by the same writer. Hmm. So one would have been The Mask of Anarchy by Percy Bysshe Shelley, hmm. um, which is a poem where he makes reference to Cassirae and the seven bloodhounds that follow him. And when I first read it, I just didn't understand it, and I thought it was another one of those dead white poets that I just have no connection to me. And then I realised that... Um, Actually, when he mentions Cassirae, Cassirae was a British prime minister and these seven bloodhounds were seven other European countries mm. that um, were continuing slavery at a time when they were be- beginning to think about ending slavery. Um, so there's lots of references to anti-slavery and stuff like that. And, mm. um, and so I was torn between that poem, The Mask of Anarchy, um, and the one I chose, which was Song to the Men of England. And Song to the Men of England is um, it's like Shelley's pleading to the people of England to don't look at royalty and think, oh, they're great, look at their robes, look at all these jewels they have. Those are your robes, those are your jewels. Mm. You, know, you can take them back, you can mm. make your own. You know, you're making arms and everything and you're giving them to them and you're kind of worshipping them concentrate on the power in yourself you know mm-hmm. and um it's a really uh uh powerful piece of poetry that um that i think is kind of relevant today because there's a kind of worship by some people of um the royalty and um i've always said you know it's not about it's not about royalty you know my mum thinks she's the queen, so mm. that, that makes her royal, mm. you know. There's loads of different... If you go through Africa and, and Asia, there's loads of different kings and queens. Mm. So anybody can be a king and queen. But the institution of the monarchy, you know. So this is not personal. This is about the institution of the monarchy. Mm. The power that they inherit kind of naturally, or in real terms, unnaturally, and, um, and the privileges that they have. And... The, the the lack of democracy that the monarchy represents. So, we know that as long as we have a monarchy in this country, we will not have a black head of state. You know, because it's just not going to happen in in 
in this royal family, in this mm. monarchy. Mm. Um, because we can see their bloodline. And mm. people may talk about Meghan Markle having a bit of black blood in her, etc., etc. But, mm. um, you know, this is kind of just tokenism. The royal family in Britain is never going to go black. Mm. <laughs> um, so the poem is kind of relevant today still. And that's mm, great poems like that, you know. They... Um, they don't really get out of date as such. Mm. Would you be up for, for reading the poem, do you think? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's not my... Um, I'm not really very good at reading other people's poems, <laughs> but um, I'll read some of it. Yeah, no, that'd be lovely just to even see a snippet. Men of England, wherefore plough for the lords who lay ye low? Wherefore weave with toil and care the rich robes your tyrants wear? Wherefore feed and clothe and save from the cradle to the grave those ungrateful drones who would drain your sweat, nay, drink your blood? Wherefore bees of England forge many a weapon, chain and scourge, that these stingless drones may spoil the forced produce of your toil? Have ye leisure, comfort, calm, shelter, food, Love's gentle balm, or what is it that ye buy so dear with your pain and with your fear? The seed ye sow, another reaps, the wealth ye find, another keeps, the robes ye weave, another wears, the arms ye forge, another bears. Sow seed, but let no tyrant reap, find wealth. Let no imposter heap, weave robes, let not the idol wear, forge arms in your defence to bear. Shrink to your cellars, holes and cells, in halls ye deck another dwells. Why shake the change ye wrought, ye see the steely-tempered glance on ye. With plow and spade, and hoe and loom, trace your grave and build your tomb, and weave your winding sheets till fair England be your sepulchre. Mm. Song to the men of England, the great Percy Bishelly, not Benjamin Zephaniah, Benjamin Zephaniah just said it. Yeah, that's powerful for sure. What's the, what are the last words? When I was reading it, I didn't know what that was, the Selpshire. It's, it's, it's the... Um, it's basically a kind of like a mace thing. It's uh -huh. like, uh, and so it's something that represents something. Okay. Mm. So he's basically kind of saying, you know, um, you know, in Parliament they have a thing. Uh, well, it's, 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 actually, it's actually called a mace. And mm -hmm. they hold it up. And it's, well, a sepulchre is something like that. Almost like um, a microphone, almost. A microphone. Could it be? <laughs> well, it could be. Could it if be? a microphone is your symbol. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but he's saying, take your country back. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you remember when you first discovered the poem? Or Well, yes. Um, I was at the Edinburgh Festival doing some gigs. And um, I normally, when I'm touring, I normally insist on staying in a hotel. Because mm. when you stay in people's houses, you got to wait until they go to bed. And you got to <laughs> say, be nice to their kids and all that kind <laughs> of stuff, you know. And somebody said, you got to stay with this family. I thought, stay with a family? No. Mm. And I said, it's okay, you know, these people are, they're a, a family of s people in the social workers, Socialist Workers Party, mm. so they're kind of right on and whatever. And So I said, okay. And they said, you've got a room. It's like a little apartment. And I was staying there, excuse me, and then there was just a couple of books on the bookshelf. And one of them was called Red Shelley by Paul Foote. Mm. And the book actually didn't have a lot of Shelley's poetry in it. Hmm. It was about the person. Okay. And when I read it, I was just blown away, you know, because I heard Shelley and I just put him in the same bracket as Wordsworth and hmm. all the, you know. The romantics. The, yeah, 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 yeah. And Well, it's not so much the romantics because I've learned exactly what romantics mean. The true meanings of, of romantics is quite revolutionary, you know. Well, you might have to explain that as well then. Well, romantic is dreaming of a better way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. um, I always used to think romantic poetry was, you know, men who wrote about women or women who wrote about men or something like that. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah, actually, yeah. you know, 
dreaming of a better society and believing that you can make it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I understand mm-hmm. the true meaning of a, a romantic poet. Mm-hmm. Is um, it's not about well, it is about love. I was going to say mm-hmm. the problem is with the word and the idea of love is that we've personalised it, so it means you know talking about your boyfriend or your girlfriend or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is true love. Mm. So in other words, when people say to me, they say, oh, you're such a political writer, you know, do you ever write mm. about love? I go, hey, I'm writing about love all the time, mm. but I'm writing about the love of mankind. I'm writing about the love of animals and the love of trees. Mm. You know, your love is just about, your love really is based on sex and your girlfriend. Mm. <laughs> you know, my love is greater than that. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I think uh, mm. a real romantic poet is, somebody that has a vision of uh, of a better way of living, mm. a better way of ordering ourselves, and so um, I read this uh, book, Red Shelley, and I just thought, wow, this guy is a real revolutionary, mm. and what he was trying to do with language and the rhythm and everything was what I'm trying to do with it. Mm. I mean, I come from a reggae background, dub, and I'm trying to mess about with the English language and. Make it sound the way that people speak. Well, that's what he was doing, you know. At the same time, I'm trying to be political, not party political. I'm trying to be compassionate and, and you know, have another vision of what we can be. That's what he's mm. trying to do. Mm. Now suddenly, I'm like, wow, this dead white dude mm. is like the same like me. And then when I read his work, I kind of read it quite naturally because of the rhythm and I think. Mm. I mean, I don't know what you thought of my rendition there but no, yeah, I read it quite naturally because yeah he's got a sense of rhythm here mm. and so that turned me on to um, Shelley's poetry and also then Keats and Byron mm. um, and the interesting thing about the book I'm, I think sorry if I'm repeating myself but there wasn't much of his poetry in it there was just little quotes and things just mm. to illustrate points mm-hmm. but it was about the person you know mm. and um Sometimes if I'm talking to kids in school and, um, in fact, not long after I read read Shelley, I kind of went on a tour and it was Benjamin Zephaniah on Shelley, me talking about Shelley. Oh, wow. And, and I, I went into really difficult places, you know, yeah. uh, what you would now call pupil referral units mm. and prisons and youth centres and stuff like that. And, you know, and I was quite young then. And you had all these dudes that are about the same age as me and they're all going, what's Benjamin Zephaniah got to say about Shelley? Mm-hmm. And then I'd say, you know, hey, I'd tell him the story of how I got turned on to Shelley and say, you know, he's not that different from what we are trying to do with our hip-hop and mm. our reggae and whatever. Mm. Um, and so sometimes, especially when I'm in school, I'll say, imagine, right, that um, imagine the, the baddest rock and roll band or the baddest hip-hop band. And this is the band that kind of wreck hotel rooms. And this is the <laughs> band that all the girls want to sleep with and everything. That's what Shelley Byron and Keith mm. were like when they were on the road. Mm. You know, everybody wanted mm. them. Mm. You know, they had the best drugs. Mm. They had the best sex. Mm. They traveled the best, you know what I mean? Mm. People wanted to hang out with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and, and, and at a time when there's no music, well, there's music, obviously, but mm. there's no, you know, hit parade and all that mm. kind of stuff, poetry was big. Mm. Mm. I mean, when poetry, uh, when um, Shelley wrote his, um, he got expelled from Oxford for writing a paper called um, The Necessity of Atheism. Ah, okay. He wrote a paper, which you know, if I wrote a paper in my, well, not so much me maybe, but if an academic wrote a paper or a student wrote a paper in the university now, hardly anybody would notice it. Mm. When he wrote that paper, he got expelled for it. People were quoting it on demonstrations. I mean, mm. people knew it in the country. Yeah, you know, these poems were chanted at, at, on demonstrations and things like this. So mm. it's it's it. It's, it's difficult for a lot of people to imagine now. Mm. But I always tell people to kind of use their imagination and, and imagine a time when poets were the real pop stars. Mm, the original rappers. And yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to imagine now. But um, that's how it was back in the day. Mm. As you just thinking of hip-hop, I just, I just watched your interview with Loyal Karna just now mm. um, and you happened to mention Roots Maneuver, mm. who's always been a big, big artist for me um, growing up. I don't know, just maybe one if you had any kind of, um, I don't know, favourite tunes of his or any, I don't know if you'd ever worked with him or kind of bumped into him along the way. Well, no, well, he's an, he's an old friend. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I've never worked with him as such, been on the same bill, mm. um, but I've never worked with him. And um, 
No, because you made a good point that he's one of the few kind of hip hop artists that's been more, as I know, um, prepared to talk about his own kind of mental health, yes. or being vulnerable. Yes. Because um, I remember when I heard that awfully deep album, it mm. just blew my mind. He's been so open about his mental health. I never heard anyone, let alone a rapper, talk yes. that openly. It's just like it was yeah. a big, it was a big album. Yeah. Mm. He's um, a really honest brother, and. Um, you know, he's. I've heard a lot of people who are into hip hop say, "I just don't get him." You know, and mm. I, have to, I don't think he's hip hop. I don't think he's. He's got an approach to his rap, if you want to call mm. it that, which is reggae. Mm. You know, and so, where is he? He's some. Sometimes artists come along and just do their own thing. Mm. You know, he's something else, isn't he? And it's mm. and it's somewhere else. A friend mm. of mine was arguing the other day because him and his wife are really into hip hop, mm. and. Um, he said he had a big argument with his wife because he's trying to convince his wife that, you know, Roots Maneuver is the, an important part of hip-hop culture. <laughs> I said, you shouldn't have said that. Just mm. say Roots Maneuver is Roots Maneuver. Mm. You know what I mean? You can't think of him in the same... You can't shoehorn him into hip-hop. I mean, mm. one of my favourite tracks of him is... Um, one of my favourite tracks of him is... I'm not sure what the title is, but it's um, Let the Spirit Move You. Oh, yeah, 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 is that, yeah, yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think Let so. Let the yeah, Spirit no, Move. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. yeah, no, no. Is it mm. hip-hop? No, no, it's not reggae. It's in a it's in a fucking world of its own. Leave it there, you know. Yeah. The thing yeah. with categories is it's just, that's just about selling music, you know. Categories. Mm. Yeah. Really, the best way of being creative is being true to yourself and being original. And sometimes that doesn't fit in with what the industry wants. Mm. Um, we just have to face that fact. Mm. And sometimes they hear some great music or read some great literature. And um, I know it's, it's not really going to do well commercially mm, mm. because there's nobody going to pick it up commercially. Mm, and every mm. now and again, something breaks through, mm. but on the whole, especially if it's something that needs marketing and you need to make a noise about it. Mm. Um, it's difficult because companies are thinking we have to invest a lot of money behind this and it's a bit of a risk. Mm. And I guess some people now just do it themselves and hope that people pick it up on YouTube or whatever. Yeah, yeah I guess that's mm. kind of been the whole, the whole kind of grime scene has been very yeah. DIY, hasn't it? Yeah. And, um, I mean, grime's a good example. Of, I mean, as far as I know, there's very few record labels, formal big record mm. labels that pick up on grime. Mm. It's very much a kind of... They used to say that hip-hop was the kind of punk of the day, where grime is now, you know? Mm. It's uh, do it yourself. Yeah. Do you kind of do you follow any of that scene? Any of those guys or? Some of them are my relatives. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah. You you got some connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Um. It's interesting. I I guess my my main criticism of grime. I mean, and I'm not very up current with it at the moment, Mm. just just because of the life I've been living and Mm. been busy and. not very up with anything, but um, I <sighs> grime. I can remember grime starting in the streets of East London. You know, mm. Dizzy Rascal was a part of my project. We used to have it's called Tower Hamlet Summer University. Okay, when he's a kid, take him off the streets. Wow, put him in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I can remember it happening around East London, and. I kind of liked the fact that it was very London sounding and, and at the same time very political and very, you know, not party political, just saying how it mm. was, you know, mm. and um, very road or street or whatever mm. you want to call it. And what frustrates me is um, the way that um, some of the artists, I'm not going to name names, but some of the artists, they go up commercial so quickly. Mm. Mm. I mean, a lot of artists go commercial, but usually it takes a long time, mm. you know. Um, so, you know, Mick Jagger was an outcast and an outlaw and everything else for years and years and years and mm. over years and years, accumulated his wealth and everything else, and then basically he becomes really mainstream. Mm. It happens with reggae artists, yeah. But with Grime, and I think it's maybe because maybe because some of the cats start with no money and they get money and they think, oh, I'm going to... Mm. go for this as, as, as much as possible because this may not last for long I don't know I'm speculating yeah mm. but um um that kind of 
worries me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do think there's not enough revolutionaries in music now, um, and I do think that um, there's too much of a concentration on being successful on the BBC, mm -hmm. and that's being a mark of success. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those cats should know better because a lot of them thrive without the BBC. A lot of music genres thrive without the BBC. Mm. I think... I was going to say art, but certainly music, poetry, um, should be militant. Mm. The government shouldn't like us. The mainstream shouldn't like us. They should, they should fear us because we want to do the opposite from what they want to do. They want to get people all in order to behave, mm. and I think, mm. and uh, uh, we want people to rebel and think for themselves and dress differently and think differently and not be the same and work almost like what Shelley said in the poem. You know, do stuff for yourself. Be your own creators. Mm. Mm. You know, make a country that represents you. Mm. You know, whereas mm. the mainstream don't want to do that. Mm. And so, you know, when I see people going to the royal family and bowing and, you know, playing on gigs for politicians and stuff like that, I think, no. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's just my, you know, I mean, some people could completely agree with me, and I'm sure lots of people do. But when I get an invitation to Buckingham Palace, I say, fuck off. Mm. sometimes I literally just put the paper in the post and I write it in big letters on it and they still keep writing to me do you think they <laughs> get a message should he sorry they haven't got a message yet no no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> uh, I've returned I've refused an OB twice mm. um, so I don't know what else I can do um, I think you know I just think we should be outside, outside the mainstream and then, I understand that, you know, kids at school study my poetry and things like this. And um, that's fine, as long as the teachers who are teaching me put me into context. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not like a tokenistic thing where they just taught your poem without really knowing where it's come from. and Yeah, they mm. really have to know where it's coming from mm. because in some cases, some kids will know more than the teachers if they're not careful. Mm. it's happened before a teacher's been reading one of my poems and she hasn't quite got it right and one of the kids went I know how to read that miss <laughs> I just got up and just read one of my poems perfect word for word mm. you know and she said how do you know that I said well I listen to reggae mm. yeah. you got the I, rhythm and yeah I know how this guy yeah. performs yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. so um, but you know there's a poet called um, Adrian Mitchell oh yeah and he wrote in one of his books once, not to be taught in schools. Right in the front cover. Oh, really? Yeah, he wrote it, not oh, to be wow. taught in schools. And I was going to do the same thing. And many years ago, I was doing a tour of libraries in the daytime. And there was a guy, a, a kid who was playing truant. He was like about 15, 14. Mm. Should have been at school. Mm. Now, this is like the early 80s, mid 80s. Mm. And there's riots all over the place. You know, I mean, it's dangerous for black kids mm. to be mm. on the street. There's sus laws and all this mm. kind of stuff. And so um, he's playing truant, but he wants to hang out with me. Mm. So I say, OK, you know, he can carry my books. He can do stuff for me. And I was just about to have a book published. And I was talking to an audience in Brixton. And I said to the audience, um, Adrian Mitchell has written in his book, Not To Be Taught In Schools, and I'm going to write the same thing, Not To Be Taught mm. In Schools. And this 14-year-old kid got me afterwards, and he said, Benjamin, if your books were in school, I'd go to school now. Mm. And I thought, wow. Changed my mind on the spot. Mm -hmm. you know, just absolutely convinced me that yeah. my books should be in school. If I'm growing up as a young black man in England and I'm complaining that there's not enough black writers and black literature <laughs> in school, how can I become a writer and then deny it to another generation, to the next generation? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I've got no problem with really it being taught mm. in school, but it, mm, people must understand the context. You know? mm. Mm. Actually, thinking of the context, maybe to take you a bit further back in time, um, 
what about what about the song that kind of reminds you of a family or, or kind of growing up? Do you know what you said for the family one? The song that reminds me of family growing up. Actually, they're separate. So there's one for family. Oh. And there's one for maybe being or being in school and growing up. Maybe oh, what's a family Matthew one? and Son. Oh, yeah. Cat Stevens. The, the reason why I kind of uh, chose this was because um, I remember being like quite small and um, we used to live in a house that kind of had a shared courtyard. Mm. And you do everything in the courtyard. You'd bath, play games, the kids would play games, stuff like that. Mm. And families would share stuff, you know, they'd share food and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember this song was big, Matthew and Son. And there were two girls that were Cat Stevens crazy. <laughs> and um, and it's about work, you know. Matthew and Son, the work's never done. There's always something new. Um, it reminded me of the a very physical work, which a lot of people are not used to now. When we used to say the working class back in the day, we meant people that worked. Mm. I remember Alex himself said something once, and it, it was just rang so true with me. He said, when he came down to London from up north, and he said to, and somebody said to him, you know, um, we're going to visit, we're going to do a workshop. Mm. It's like, a workshop? He imagined men in there in overalls <laughs> working on stuff, and I was the same, you know what I mean? Like, what are we going to do, what are we going to do a workshop for? <laughs> yeah, artists. No, that's what artists do, workshops, do they? Mm. <laughs> you know? And then you go into the workshop and it's just kind of people sitting down, kind of reciting lines. And I thought they're going to be making aeroplane parts. Mm. Something, you know? mm. um, and just, you know, I mean, this may sound like really boring and mundane, but um, the washing machine broke down in our house recently. Mm. And so we've had to wash things by hand. Mm. And, you know, and uh, I've had to say to my partner, look, I can remember when my mum did this all the time. Mm. There was eight of us. Mm. Everything washed by hand. Mm. You know, we, washing machine was a real luxury. Mm. Um, and so that kind of... It, Partly domestic, but also kind of going to work. Your work is never done. You just keep working at it. And I just, I just remember it as a tune when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah, no, because when I, I did, I didn't know the tune um, previously. But then having just read your book and and then hearing the tune, kind of made me think of like survival. That kind of just like yes. say, just it's just yeah. sort of getting through and yeah. surviving, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And how, so, how about a song that kind of reminds you of school days and growing up as a kid? Um, now, what song was that? I think it was a Gladys Knight. Oh, yes. <laughs> the reason why I, I chose this one was because I remember living in a particular house and with my parents, well, my mother, I should say, my father wasn't there. And um, just beginning to try and work out what girls were <laughs> and how they worked and functioned. <laughs> and um, just adolescence generally. Mm. And I had a tape recorder. And for some reason in this house, I'm, I'm not quite sure why now, but it was a bit overcrowded. And I was sleeping on a bed settee in the front room. Mm. So I'd wait till everybody went to bed. And then I would uh, unfold mm. the settee and go mm. and sleep. And I had a little tape recorder of this, um, help me make it through the night. Mm. Uh, and it was a Gladys Knight version, because there's lots of versions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... Um, and I just remember playing it over and over and over again. Mm. And I think it was my first little tape recorder as well. Mm. And a little tape. And it was really odd because really, I mean, th at that time, I was beginning to get really heavily into reggae. Mm -hmm. But I think it was because it's the only tape in the house or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know it was a love song, 
but I just thought it also could mean, you know, didn't help me make it through the night could just mean also help me make it through the darkness. You know, mm. just mm. for me, it's, it's had a kind of wider connotations, wider meaning. Mm. And so I just remember that as a kid, just listening to it, and um, and it kind of. Uh, uh, it's going somewhere deep in my head. Yeah, man. I remember. I didn't know the Gladys Knight version, but I, I remember years ago hearing. Is it John John McLean? I think it's John McLean's anniversary. Right. Oh, um, John McLean. There's Chris Christopherson. There's. Yeah. Um, and you're right. There is something. That, yeah, I definitely got struck by that tune as mm. well. Is there's something? There's definitely something special. Uh, the Gladys Knight one is really sparse musically. But she's got the voice to do it, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Did you ever catch her live or anything? No, I never did. Mm. No, I've... To be honest, I've really... I've, there's a very few amount of kind of soul R&B singers that I've got kind of watched. Mm. I've just... Reggae, punk rock. Yeah. Um, hip-hop. You know. I, I appreciate it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, especially when I'm at that age, you mm. know, when you're young. Um, so, is there is there any live performance that stood out for you? That, uh, it's pretty hard to choose one, but stood out for me that you've seen, yeah. Um, well, one of my favourite bands of all time um, was a um, a punk band called The Ruts, mm. and um, I love punk. Mm. Because to me, punk was kind of like what rock should be, you know, um, angry, um, idealistic, um, dirty, <laughs> um, dangerous. Your parents shouldn't want you to go to a punk gig, <laughs> you know. The police should be, like, really uh, um, wary of them, you know. Um, they should be dangerous. Um, and so, yeah, I love the Ruts. I just mm. love the energy mm. um, of the Ruts. There's another band called Sham 69. Mm. Um, How about reg reggae-wise? Reggae-wise, you know, Bob Marley at um, The Rainbow was a legendary gig. Oh. I, I think it's live, it's captured live. Mm. Uh, um something about the energy and it was it was funny because when you were there there was feedback and all kinds of things you know that, that could have made it bad but the energy on the stage was something else mm -hmm. and um there's another band called black ahuru mm. um but yeah um i mean i was thinking about band that that that, that songs that remind me of going on a holiday or going abroad mm. And the one that came to mind was Rasta Manchant by uh, Bob Marley and the Wailers, mm. which is not one of his most popular things. It's really, mm. it's really, to understand Bob Marley, you have to understand that um, there was a time when he was making music that wasn't reggae, that was ska. Mm. Then he was quite well known, just really well respected as a ska musician. Mm. Then when kind of ska turned into rock steady, then turned into reggae, um, he was quite well respected in Jamaica but wasn't known outside Jamaica mm. really um, and I'm kind of um, I'm jumping over the years here I'm paraphrasing stuff a bit if you like mm. but um, <clears throat> Chris Blackwell comes in and says right we're going to make it Bob Marley and the Whalers it used to just be the Whalers mm. and then and Bob Marley became a commercial I use that in inverted commas hit but he always had this very militant side. He had his own mm -hmm. label called Tough Gong, which he put yeah. out stuff that wasn't kind of very commercial, mm -hmm. which is the kind of stuff I like, really. Rastaman Chant appeared on an album. Mm, I can't remember which one it was. But this is typical of the kind of reggae that um, Rastafarians listen to. Mm. It was never a commercial hit, really. Mm. Um, I hear the words of a Rastaman say, Babylon, your throne gone down. Um... You know, this is a deep Rastafarian concept that one day all of this is going to collapse, mm. you mm. know, and then he's going to fly away home. Mm. But actually, I, you know, 
if I'm on holiday, I'm too far away. When I'm leaving, I think, yeah, I'm going to fly away now, go on holiday. And then I'm there for a while. I think, yeah, I want to fly away home now. <laughs> I want to come back home. Mm. You know, there's a time and it doesn't matter how good a holiday, you're missing mm. your own bed. Yeah, you're missing yeah, your own yeah, food. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? For sure. And, um, so, you know, I know the, the, the track itself is about bigger ideas than that. But, <laughs> you know, that's what it kind of reminds me of. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a beautiful track. And it, it's really kind of minimalist reggae really there's very little guitars mm. and all that stuff it's mainly drums and mm. not drums of the the drum kit type you know mm. what some people would call congo drums mm. but we call them naya bingi drums mm. yeah man actually i came to that tune not for the original version but there's like a hip-hop remix i don't know if you ever heard it mm-hmm. his his sons put out this must be about 10 years ago or something i'm not sure which sons it was Stephen marty i think was one of them but they put together an album, kind of hip hop reworkings of Marley tunes. Yeah. It's worth listening to, man. There's, there's some good tunes on there. They got all different. There's Lauren Hills on the tune, Guru, um, Lost Boys. Yeah, there's there's some good stuff on there, actually. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny, I guess. Yeah, you so much stuff gets sampled, and it's, yeah, you often. I don't know. It's funny hearing stuff, and then you realize, oh, there's an original version. That was that. But then, I guess that's how a lot of music works. You hear it in different ways. But, uh, yeah. I mean, one of the downsides of the computer age now and everything else is that um, there's not much original. I mean, I, I say downside, maybe that's not the right thing, but um, there's so much that's kind of been sampled. There's nothing like people sitting around in a room and just jamming and playing music. Mm. That's when the vibes really come. So, you know, you get people like Eminem sampling Labby Sifri, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, on the track Slim Shady. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you think, what a, you know, how did he find it? Mm. It seems so far away from his world. Yeah. Um, Kanye's good for that as well. Kanye West is good at yes. finding the maddest sample and then completely... And just making his, it, yeah. I mean, he's so, much... He, he talks some nonsense, but I do. I do think some of his music's amazing. Uh, yeah. Production-wise, it's he's, he's on something. It's else. a new art, you know. Mm. This making mu- music that's computerized. Mm. However you do it, it's 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 you know, and it's a skill in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then with the, the Wailers, you you worked a bit with them, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I was really lucky. I mean, yeah. I met Bob, but. Um, I was, oh, I suppose I've gone down in history as the first person to work with the Whalers after the death of Bob Marley, mm. completely by accident. I didn't expect to. I mean, this was in Jamaica, in the mid eighties. Mm. Um, I went to Jamaica. I was planning to work with some other musicians that weren't there. Mm. Somebody suggested that I work with the Whalers. I was like, oh, I think that's going to be impossible. She said, No. I'll go and have a word with them. <laughs> and she fixed it. Mm. Yeah. So I did this tribute to Nelson Mandela. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's how it came. Were they still, at that point, were they still kind of close to Bob? Was it, was it all, because I know there was fractions. No, they were at war at the time. That's what I was thinking, yeah. And, um, and that's partly why I thought it would never happen. Mm-hmm. But apparently, you know, they kind of had a truce okay. to come together to do my track. Okay. Um, because at the time Mandela was in prison and it was a big hit issue, you know, mm-hmm. it, it got in the public's imagination then. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so they came together and did it. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, some real history there, man, some real history. Mm. Um, uh, how, well, yeah, well, how, about, how about the tune you choose to kind of got you through some hard times? Um, hard times, songs that got me through hard times. <laughs> I, al- I always think that if you're a musician or you're a creative person, you create something that you want to see or you want to hear. That's why you create it. You think it's needed out there. And you think... So I've never been one of these musicians that are shy to say that I like to listen to my own music sometimes. Mm. Especially, I mean, sometimes when I'm, I've made a record or something and you do all the publicity for it and then you do a tour or whatever. A couple of years later, I pull it out and I listen to it, and I go, wow. 
gosh, that's a good album. <laughs> you know, and then I think, of course it's a good album. That's why I bloody made it, you know? Mm. So there's a track of mine called In Times Like These, which is a very laid-back reggae track. Have you heard it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. it's a um, you know, um, and um, yeah, I, I kind of uh, like it because it talks about the pressure getting hotter and the people don't have no water. But if you come here, you got to fight here, not one another. We must unite here. In times like this, we must let go. And then, and then I mm. reference the trombone player. <laughs> um, but the point is that um, um, I guess there's a time to fight, there's a time to stand up, and there are times to go with the flow, you know. But the times we are living in, and I guess people have said this through all different times, um, are very, very important. And times, different times are important for different reasons, but now it really is important. Mm. Um because um, personally, it's very difficult to negotiate the world that it is, work, everything else, and stay sane. You know, mm. mental health problems is a big thing. People just can't take the pressure. And I reference that in, the, in this track. Mm. But also, um, because the lunatics have taken over the asylum, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if Donald Trump, mm. if his Twitter account goes down and he has a bad day, he could press the button. Mm, that's a scary, scary thought. <laughs> he could press the button. Mm. Um, you know, and... Who knows what we're going to have in Britain? I mean, people people have voted for some crazy things recently. Mm. And... Um, a lot of my friends that live in um, dictatorships... They look at us mm. and they go, is that what you get with democracy? Really? <laughs> Actually, we, we like our stable society here. Mm. You know, it sounds odd. Mm. And there's, I know, journalists and people like me can go, well, you know, you don't have the freedom to write the poetry the way that we write it. But most people in the world are not interested in writing poetry. Mm. Most people in the world just want to go and do shopping, uh, get a, earn a living and everything. Mm. They're not thinking about, you know, philosophy or political mm. uh, uh, politics generally you know mm. they just want to know that you know so uh, millions of people this is very uncomfortable for a lot of people to hear especially when people are fighting for democracy all over the world but millions of people all over the world are living under benign dictators and happy mm. yeah mm. Because, because they're not coming into contact with them they're not, mm. you know and they're able to do what they want to do mm. you know and people find that hard to believe because yeah. people start thinking well we should take democracy there mm. but they're looking at us and going oh yeah yeah, I guess they could argue that our democracy is just a bit hypocritical and yeah, yeah. Not, as de- not as democratic as it might present yeah. itself. And you've taken mm. f- hundreds of years to evolve your democracy and you want them mm. to do it overnight. Mm. And over hundreds of years of e- 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 democracy evolving, you came up with Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, yeah, that. it's not a good look. <laughs> yeah. it's not. Do you see the Theresa May um, dance ring yesterday at a conference? Couldn't believe it, you know. But I can see, you know, she wants to look like she's cool down with the hip hop dancers or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, um, you know. I couldn't stop laughing, but then a friend made a good point. That was it. I was thinking, what are they, her PR team? Are they? Do they actually think that's a good idea, or are they taking the piss themselves? But then they, my friend said, well, but look, it's had the effect that we're all talking about that. No one's really talking about what a mess she's making of Brexit or what nonsense she's talking. I thought, is that maybe they maybe they did it on purpose so we could as a distraction technique? I don't know, but. We just don't know now. It was very funny, though. We just don't know. She has scriptwriters and she has people that plan these things. Mm. Somebody must have suggested the music, Abba. Yeah. You know, somebody must have suggested... I mean, she she, she must have rehearsed that dance. But it was so painful because the way she, she kind of stops and everything, oh, no, I've got to do a bit more. Yeah. It's the most unnatural thing to see. Um, it, did, it did show up my day at work, I have to say. <laughs> did you ever see me on Frankie Ball's show talking about her? No. I think you can see it online. Yeah. Um, I, I, I said, and I'll stand by it, that every time I see her, forget the politics, forget that she's the cruel face of capitalism and all that. I just want to give her a massage. And the posture is terrible. The yeah. posture mm. is so bad. She mm. walks so badly. She sits so badly. Mm. I just want to straighten her up, <laughs> you know, and just rub her shoulders a bit. Give her some Tai Chi. You know, yeah. yeah. I'm always straightening people, aren't I? I'm always 
Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and when I see her, I just think, come on, isn't somebody, she just needs a bit of help in that mm. area, you know? <laughs> and I think it's because she's probably tall. I've never been next to her. She, I think she, she's a bit tall. I'm not sure. Mm. But she certainly wears the wrong shoes. Mm. Yeah. You should put yourself forward and then you can, <laughs> you can start to slowly influence her politics as well. So she'll become her go-to <laughs> one day. Um, what, what about a tune that reminds you of a special place or time? A uh, special place and time. Um... Well, it's funny. Um, I'm not a great drinker. I don't go to pubs very often. Um, and the track I chose is kind of about pubs, but sometimes I think you listen to a track and then you can apply it to your life in a different way than probably the writer met, meant. Mm. As long as you're not, you know, applying it to some Nazi ideology or something. Leonard Cohen is a poet, a poet that I've kind of loved for years, and the track I, clo- ch- I chose was a track called um, Closing Time. I love it, you know. Mm. It's just about people that, you know, they've been drinking in a pub, and, you know, and he's looking around him, and he's observing with a poet's eye, and he's looking at all the people, and it's a kind of typical old-school pub. This is not a wine bar. Mm. This is a pub, <laughs> you know. And it's closing time, mm. and people are going to be thrown out into the street. Mm-hmm. Some of them are drunk, some of them are going to have sex, some of them are frustrated because they can't, mm. some of them are, you know, thinking, feeling really guilty because they got to go to church tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's all that kind of stuff, and um, I just love it. It's a standout piece, you know. Mm. Um, Leonard Cote, f- for me, was a poet that kind of, you know, I, I think he comes from my tradition, really. Our tradition, the oral tradition, is a spoken word poet, really. Mm. He puts his poetry onto music. He, he stands alone on it. He performs it on his own. His voice suits his poetry. Mm. And it works at all kinds of levels, you know. And he makes reference to biblical things and spiritual things, political things, personal things sometimes all in the same verse <laughs> you know um mm. and uh, we lost him a couple of years ago you know he passed away and i just is one of the poets that i would have loved to have met mm. i never met him mm. but yeah closing time um yes it's um a great piece of music yeah man it's like a knees up tune isn't it it's like it, it kind of country, almost country and western. When I heard it, I kind of pictured a kind of, I don't know. It's in a world of its own, yeah. again, you know. It's in a world of its own. Yeah. Um, he's a storyteller. Mm-hmm. He's a storyteller. Mm. Yeah. One of your answers actually to a different question made me realise I need to stop answering, asking this question because everyone, no one really has a good answer for it. It's the one about um, if you had a favourite tune for New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'll just stop asking that because maybe it's just not the greatest question. Um, no. <laughs> I, um, uh, where is that question? Christmas Eve. New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. Basically, I said, here comes the sun. Um, I, I don't give a damn about Christmas. Uh, listen, I've studied how Christmas came about and it's mm. complete capitalism. Christ wasn't born then anyway. He wasn't <laughs> born that time of the year. Um, um, it's a, it's actually the time of the winter solstice, mm. um, and um, it's just a capitalist scheme to get mm. you to spend money. Mm. And to me, every day is important. I don't even really celebrate my own birthday. Mm. Every day I wake up, I'm glad to be alive. You mm. know. So. Um, but I do love when the summer comes, mm. yeah. And um, and a song that comes to mind all the time is "Here Comes the Sun" by the Beatles. Mm. Here comes the sun. Sometimes when I get up in the morning and I cycle or run or something, and I'm and I'm up before the sun, mm. and I can see the sun coming. Um. So yeah, here comes the sun. It's alright. Yeah, that's a lovely tune. One of my favourite Beatles songs as well, actually. 
Did you ever get to see them? Or, no, I guess they're a bit. Before, well, John Lennon was still around no. though for a bit. Yeah, no, he? I know Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh wow! I've, I've done projects with him around mm. veganism, and uh, there was a little reggae club that we used to go together mm. um, in Brixton. Yeah. Well, I didn't realise he was into his reggae. And oh okay. yeah. Well, I guess he did Oble Dee Oble Da, and I'm thinking about that. I guess that was oh, a bit he was, of a. He was a he was a real reggae lover. Oh, I mean, he's a real mm, reggae mm, lover. Mm. Mm. And I'm talking about proper sound system stuff. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whoa. There's a dub club in Brixton that we used to go together. Mm. Well, they used to go together. I used to meet them down there, see them down there mm. all the time. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. No, definitely. Oh, well. Yeah, he should put a new album out, hasn't he, recently? He's still, he's still going. He's put an album out and um, shot to number one, didn't he? Or something. Is it, oh, did, oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, okay, yeah. wow. Yeah. Mm, mm. Um, what about what about a tune that someone's made for you on a mixtape? This. Um. Yeah, I remember, um, and it really was a tape. <laughs> you know, like sometimes people say mixtape now, and they actually mean mix CD or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or some kind of playlist. <laughs> but um, yeah, somebody made me a tape once, and and. Um, uh, and this track by System of a Down was on, and it just, um, it's called Prison Song. I just love the start of it. It's just, mm. the way it starts, you think, is that a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> and, <it's just> like <laughs> <laughs> and then it just, <sighs> and it's so true. They're trying to build a prison for us to live in. Mm. Yeah. Um, and talk about stuff we've just talk, already talked about, you know. Artists should try and free themselves from this prison. Um, but there's only a handful of people in this country, and then, you know, you could do the same thing internationally, that control, you know, like 1%, control 99%, mm-hmm. like probably even less than 1%. Mm. Um, and if they can't get us into prison, they want to build a prison, so the mm. country becomes a prison. Mm. We think we can fly out, mm. but you c- there's lots of prisons that, that are open prison. You can go home for the weekend and come back. Mm-hmm. So it shows you that prison is not just the bars, it's the mentality. Mm-hmm. It's that you're trapped, you're behaving. You know, you're not thinking outside the box. Mm. You're not living outside the box. And um, I think they're trying to build a prison for us to live in. And this song just captures that really well, and it's it's, it's not it's, there's something about the tension of the music as well, mm. and the way that he delivers the words. Mm. You can see this somebody that feels it, you know. Mm. He says, "I I I, I um, smack my bitch in Hollywood." <laughs> you know, it's just like if you know Hollywood and you see the way the people live there, you know they're not get arrest they're not getting arrested for drugs. Those people, mm. yeah. poor people downtown are getting arrested for drugs. Mm. Um, definitely, yeah, that's definitely probably the, the angriest tune we've had on the pod so far, I reckon. Is it? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's it's all about the diversity and <laughs> the breadth. So, yeah, it's funny because I put it on a playlist when you sent me over the tunes and a, a few of them I didn't know. So I thought, I want to have a listen before he comes over. Right. I, had it, I was biking through on my headphones. I must be, That tune came on when I was biking through like Leafy Bloomsbury. <laughs> and then this, like, the angriest tune <laughs> came on. Thought, oh, this will, yeah, this will wake me up. Um, <laughs> It, yeah. If you get the chance, just uh, pl- play it on YouTube or whatever with mm. the lyrics, and you see mm-hmm. the lyrics are just so powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and he yeah. repeats himself a lot, but the way that it works is just mm. so powerful. Yeah, man. Nice. We we touched up on most most of them. I think. Most, what have we not mentioned? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know about what you thought about a song at your funeral. Oh, yeah, because I said no. Um, <laughs> I'm a weird cat, you know, mm. because um, I'm an old man. <laughs> and um, a long time ago, probably 30 years ago or something, I arranged my own funeral. Ah. Um, I just looked at the funeral industry and saw how it worked. Mm. And went, uh-uh. They're not going to make money out of me when I'm dead either, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I 
arranged, I bought my own funeral parrot in a forest mm. and um, put alongside my will how I want to go. So mm. I've said people can sing songs as long as they're not political, read poems, mm. sorry, not think pardon, not political, religious. Mm. Or kind of trying to say that um, one God is better than another. Let me put it like that. Mm. I don't mind things that are a little bit spiritual. Mm. I believe there is a God. I, mm. I, I always feel that I've got to come back when I say that and just back it up a bit. I believe there's something greater than us. There's some kind of spirit that's bigger than our spirit that we have kind mm. of attached to our bodies. Mm. You know? mm. If you want to call that God, call it God, but whatever it is. Mm. I believe there's something like that. Mm. I don't believe it has gender. Mm-hmm. I don't even think it has a shape. Mm. You know, so that's mm. just our imagination. We need a narrative story to kind of yeah, yeah, fit yeah, into yeah. our little brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's how you get religion. Mm. I believe in God without religion. Mm. I think religion has given God a bad name. Mm. But um, so I don't really have anything planned for my funeral. So I said Matthew Herbert because I just like Matthew Herbert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could have done lots of tracks of Matthew Herbert. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. I wasn't, but I checked it out. It's a very interesting stuff. Oh, right? he's great. You know, he's just, uh, yeah. you can make music out of anything. Mm. Like know. sampling real noises and yes. kind of, yeah, yeah, electronic stuff. Yeah. I went to a gig of his once and then they all came out, or the whole band came out in pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> they came out in pyjamas like they were going to bed. Mm. You know, some of them were old school with the night cap on and everything, you know. Yeah. And they played an amazing set. But there's one track he did where he just kind of, he stood next to the microphone and he drank a can of Coke or something like that. Mm. He drank it. And um, as he was drinking, he sampled a little bit of the noise that he was making yeah. with his throat. And then when he finished, he, he crushed the can together, mm. made a sound of that. Then he took some other things, eating things. And, just, mm. and in a couple of minutes, the whole house was just rocking to mm. this tune he just made. Mm in front of them you know mm. um i just love his creativity mm. it yeah. seemed it, it, back in the day he really struggled because he almost didn't want anybody to know what he looked like you know he just mm. didn't want any personality behind it he just wanted to be for people kind of, mm. you know? mm. um so yeah the audience is a great track um there's an album called bodily functions which is an album i think it's mainly made from samples of people's bodily functions <laughs> I think the first track, if I'm right, is just his wife or girlfriend or somebody. Mm. I've got to be careful. Sorry, Matthew, I've got this wrong. But somebody he knows is having a baby. Mm. And he samples the sound of her yeah. giving birth and turns it into a track. Mm. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love the man. Never met him. Uh, but we'd like to. Mm. I'm not really sure it'll be played at my funeral. I used to say years ago that what I really wanted at my well, I didn't really want a funeral. What I wanted was, I wanted um, to burn me and then take my ashes, those that really want to do this, those that are close to me, those that really love me, mm. take my ashes and mix it with some ganja, <laughs> some marijuana and smoke me. <laughs> you know, I, thought, I thought that was... Mm. And then I said, nah, I don't smoke, you know, so... Mm. Um, yeah, breathe in your essence. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, just let me go back to the earth. Give me a poem, you know, uh, whatever. I, I, I kind of don't want to be there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Somebody once said, you know, I'm not afraid of dying, but I just don't want to be there when it happens. Mm. Um, I don't like pain. Mm. Um, and... Um, But I, you know, there, there are some things that that in various religions are quite similar, you know. Mm. And um, a lot of people, when they think about religion and doing right and wrong and all that kind of stuff, they think of this place called heaven. Mm. But you know, most religions at some point, most holy books, refer to the fact that. In the end, we'll go back to where we were in the beginning. Mm. Well, that was neither heaven nor hell. I mean, I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is, mm. but it wasn't very painful, was it? <laughs> right? Yeah, it wasn't very painful. Mm. 
So mm. that's cool. Go back there. It sounds alright. Yeah. You know. Um, we're probably gonna have no memory there. I think. Mm. You know, it's, it's probably gonna be absolute peace. Mm. You know. Mm. You know. When you're born. When you're born, you come into the world. And one of the first things you do is cry. And everybody around you is like really happy. Yeah. Baby boy. Mm. New poet. Wow. Mm. Right. When you die, everybody around you is sad. You should be happy. Mm. <laughs> it's the way around. Mm. Because you're going back to a very peaceful place. Mm. They still got to pay the mortgage. That's true. <laughs> You know, they've still mm. got to drag this body around. Mm. And you'll be at rest. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's getting fucking deep, man. Mm. So, we've, so, ended, so. we've ended on a bit of a morbid note, but at least you're, at least you're, at least you're presenting death in a positive way, though. Well, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> it, it, like I said, pain is not nice and all that kind of stuff. But going somewhere else spiritually or being attached to something else spiritually is something that's really amazing. Mm, mm. And if you think about dragging this body around, look what happens to it. Mm. We hurt it. It gets diseased. It gets mm. scratched. Looking at some of the press, so they, they often still refer to you as being a Rasta, but is that, would you say that's not the case? Or? Well, if somebody's, if I'm waiting at a bus stop and somebody asks me you know, if I'm religious, um. First thing I say is, how long have you got? <laughs> mm. uh, if I wanted a simple version, I'll just say I'm a Christian. Mm. If you've got a bit more time, I'll say I'm a Rasta. Because I can talk about Christianity and I can talk about what we thought of Christianity and how we reinterpret it. Mm. And if you've got a bit more time, I'll go on to explain that um, um, I'm very inspired by Buddhism, Zen Buddhism in particular. Mm. And if you got even more time, I'll say, well, yeah, I don't believe in, I don't believe in the kind of God that most people believe in. Well, I believe in God without religion. Mm -hmm. um, I believe you can get there through meditation, getting in touch with yourself. Mm. And there's lots of ways you can learn to meditate. You can do that through yoga. You can do that just through standing still, sitting still. Mm. You can do that through Tai Chi. And... Um, and so I would never deny the Christian part of me or the Rasta part of me. Uh, yeah. mm. Mm. Um, most of the time when people are having a religion, uh, an argument about religion, um, I kind of side with the atheist. <laughs> it sounds really strange. Mm. You know, because when they come with mumbo-jumbo, you know, mm. stuff, I just go, oh, come on. Mm. Do you believe the world was really created in seven days? Mm. You know, do you really believe God is a man? Yeah. Mm. And if you believe there's Jesus, which version of Jesus? Mm. there's lots of different versions of Jesus mm. in the Bible there's four different versions accounts of the gospel mm -hmm. then there's all the other accounts that weren't published mm. you know and then there's the what um, poets and people wrote about Jesus that were around Jesus that's mm. got nothing to do with gospels or biblical teachings mm. or stuff like that so people keeping diaries yeah it makes me think of that Roots Maneuver line um, that can I trust can I, can I trust King James to Translate these, whatever he says, okay. but it's uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about you know uh, you quoted Roots Maneuver. Uh, there's a friend of mine, a hip hop guy called Phil Cipher. Oh, Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah man. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard a track that I jump on with him? No, actually, I'm, I used to be really into them. I've kind of. Are they still, are they well, still no, 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 they're split, man. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sadly, because I thought they were one they of were the wicked, best. They were wicked, man. Yeah, yeah, I thought they were brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were really great at freestyling as mm, well. Yeah, you know incredible. I mean? But, but, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, they're split, and it's a very sad thing. And oh. it's, it's, uh, I don't think they're talking to each other, but mm. I love them, both of them. Mm. Um, but there's a track that Cy Philly does, and um, I'm on it, and it's called I'm Scrolling. Mm. Look it up. Yeah, maybe we'll finish the show with that tune then. Yeah, and, but yeah. he's got a wonderful quote in there where he talks about um, people just trying to get followers on Facebook and everything. Mm. And he said, um, um, 
well, you know, Jesus only had 12 followers. <laughs> Look what he did. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Scrolling. Wicked. I think that's, that's maybe that's the tune we'll go out on. Cool. Yeah. Oh, Benjamin, thank you so much for taking the time. The pleasure's been mine, man. I like it, yeah. Um, shall we stay tonight? Yeah, you're always welcome. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy called, um, you should do a podcast with him, actually, um, Dan Litch. Oh, yeah. Do you know Dan Litch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he would yeah. be wicked. He wrote a really, he did a really interesting piece on Radio 4 a few years ago. And it was, um, what he was saying was that there's a whole generation of people that have grown up now that haven't really heard bass. Mm. They haven't really heard mm. the kind of bass that you feel in your stomach. Mm. The kind of, um, well, there's old reggae sound systems used mm. to get with these big boxes and real. Digital bass is always going to be diff- diff- different. Mm. You know? my, my last album got a lot of bass on it. And it sounds nice and I think, but it's not the same as a bass guitar. Mm. Something about the vibrations of a real bass mm. that digital just can't get. Yeah, it's, it's that's r- an interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he said, uh, and especially when they listen to it on earphones, mm. you know, you don't get that. Yeah, know, no, what, for sure. What you get when you're sanding in a sound system mm. down. So, mm. yeah. Do you still go to some of the, the kind of dances with sound systems? Uh, my last one was about a year ago or something, Same you know. So not very often. Mm-hmm. No, not so I used to. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't still get up on the mic and start chatting, really. Um, for the mood to you, mate. No, the last time I did that, I think I was in Japan, mm. and then somebody kind of just, you know, just introduced me. Yeah, yeah, we got Benjamin Zeph and I are in the house. Oh. Blah blah blah. <laughs> just give me the mic. Yeah. <laughs> they got a bit of a scene out there, haven't they? With, uh, Mike Thank you for listening to Mixtape Assembly, produced by myself, Hartley Lloyd Pack, with the Wicked Fee music by Clive from Accounts. You can hear all of Benjamin's tunes on the Spotify playlist, which is linked into all our platforms. And to check out more episodes, go to mixtapeassembly.com.